Well, this morning I'm really excited to start off a new series, and I'm so stoked for this, to talk to you about this. Today I want to start talking about living as sons and daughters of the King. Living as sons and daughters of the King. And uh, this is not just talk, this is an actual reality that we need to grasp because God does not want us to just uh, say, yes, I'm a child of the king, but he wants us to understand what it is to live like one. And uh, many times we're guilty of not living up to our potential. We do it in the natural. We use phrases like, well, I can't, or I'm not able, or Uh, you know, I don't have time. We have all kinds of excuses for not tapping into who we are in the natural. And we tend to layer those over into the supernatural kingdom and live underneath their bondage as well. And so I'm hoping and believing and praying over the next few months that that gets completely broke off in your life. That God is going to just do such a work that your mind, your, the Bible says that through the washing and regeneration by the word of God, he wants to do what to your mind? He wants to renew it. He wants to transform you from stinking thinking to living thinking. Amen? Hallelujah. So, Father, <clears throat> we invite you here today to help us to realign how we think according to your word. We ask you, Lord, to teach us from your scripture, to help us to understand what the Word of God says about who we are as a body and about who we are as an individual, that God, uh, that we have been positioned with you in, in supernatural ways and that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation that has been literally released to every single one of us and that, Father, And how we go about that ministry and how we do all that we're called to do here on earth really will be determined by how we see ourselves. And we need to see ourselves as sons and daughters of the King. And so, Father, we thank you for that today. Help us to orientate our thinking and our living according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians, and uh, it's found in chapter 6 that gets quoted a lot by holiness preachers because it's one of those, you know, fly straight and uh, get right with God verses. And I'm going to read it, but I'm more interested in the end of it, the conclusion part of it, which I'll put up on the screen in a moment. But if you were to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, listen to what it says. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, everybody say, therefore, therefore, come out from among them. You guys have heard this before, right? Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, right? So that's why I said it's one of those holiness verses, you know. If you want to preach about sin and you want to, you know, nail it and drive it home, you turn to this passage. But I'm really interested in what it says next. Look at this. And then it says in verse. 18, it says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, 
I think this is really important because this shows us, in this, these two verses here at the end, shows us one of the revelations we need to come under in the kingdom. It tells us, it tells us that we are sons and daughters of God. And then it says, having, everybody say having. Having means I already possess. Having these promises, because I possess these promises, because I'm a son or a daughter of the king. Then, then, because I have these promises, I can cleanse myself from all filthiness in the flesh and the spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. You see, this verse is helping us to understand one of the principles of the kingdom that we need to get into our head is that we do not free ourselves from sin and, and, and beat our body and, and, you know, transform ourselves and make all these sacrifices to earn sonship, to earn favor, to earn our relationship with God. We're able to do it because we're already sons and daughters. Having these promises, we can deal with the flesh. Bam, that's it. I have all these people come to me and say, Pastor, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And I just can't break through. And they're sincere and, they're, and they're, they're wrecked about their sin and they're devastated by it. And I just have to say, have you tried living as a son? Have you just tried being a daughter? Have you just settled into living under his love and his affection? And I think if you'll give that a try, then we can work on that sin issue as a son or a daughter and not as an orphan. And I tell you people, there's a big difference between the two. Are you hearing me this morning? Is anybody excited about this? Are we good to go? All right, everybody go like this. All right, go like that. Come on, get, crack the knuckles. Can yours crack? Mine don't crack when I do that. I try, but uh, they don't crack. But I hear some people, you know, they do that. And I was like, woo! That's kind of creepy. But uh, anyway, take that posture, all right, and then square your shoulders a little bit like this. Say, all right, let's go, Pastor. Say it, let's go, Pastor. All right, well, we want to welcome this morning, whether this is the first time you've ever been here. How many first-timers? Put your hand up. Let me see if you're a first-timer. Go. One over there. Come on. Everybody high-five that person right over there. Come on. Woo! Back here. Do I see another one back there? Look at that. Hand held high. Anybody else first-timer? Come on. Right here. Yeah! Des, turn around, give her a high five. Come on, give her a high five. Let's see, right there. Come on. Well, we welcome you. If you're first time here this morning, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we trust that you'll come back again and again and again. We love to have people come and be a part of our house. And you know, one of the beautiful things about the house of the Lord, the family of God, is there's always room for more. I learned that in the Philippines. You say, really? Yeah, because... I, I've seen people riding a motorcycle with six people on it, and there's still room for one more. I, I, I swear I saw a family of seven on one motorcycle, and it was only 125 cc. And, uh, and there were seven people on the motorcycle. I, you can't even make this up. I know somewhere I have a picture of it. I just got to find it. And then I saw a truck. It was like a, like a cube van that they'd cut the, you know, they have them in other countries where the back is a pickup truck with rails instead of a cube, do you know what I mean? But it's that kind of a nose on it. And there was, I'm not kidding, there was over 30 people in the back of that truck. And they're driving down the road, and they see somebody walk, and they just reach their hand up, pull them up. Always room for one more. 
You see, we might think the church is full or the kingdom is full. No, no, there's always room for one more. And that one more is you, amen? And so there's always room. I learned that. Uh, you know, it's a great lesson for me. And, uh, and we still have tons of space compared. I mean, I'm looking forward to the day when we've got people standing in the hallway and we got a double service. Well, I don't know if I really into the double service thing again. We did that once before. But um, if we have to, then we will. But we we build a bigger building, do whatever we got to do, because there's always room for one more in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, uh, how many know we need the King? We do. You know, as humans uh, who cast off the King, first the divine King, and then monarchies. We've tried every type of government you can think of. We've went from feudalism to, you know, uh, capitalism, communism, socialism, every ism you can think of. And the reality is, is that none of it is perfect. None of it works and satisfies all of our needs because we were meant to be under a divine monarchy, under, under the leadership of the king. That's what God's intention was. Now, we may have a bad taste about kingdoms and colonies and everything else, and we're going to have to relearn a lot of language uh, and throw off some of the things that we've been bombarded with because we're looking at them through a human lens. We need to look at them through a scriptural lens and through what God wanted to do. Because Jesus didn't just come to earth to save you from your sins. That gets preached a lot, and it is certainly one of the byproducts of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But that's not the sole purpose that he came for. See, he redeemed us from our sins so that we could be part of something bigger. He redeemed us so that we could, with him, along with him, establish his kingdom here on earth. That he came and he redeemed us, because if all he was trying to do was with, deal with the sin problem, then why not just take every one of us home the day we confess Christ? Why does he leave you here? Why does he leave you here? Because you're here to establish his kingdom. Now, this preaching is, used to be the central message of the gospel, was the kingdom of God. And as Donald G., professor at, uh, out in Vancouver, uh, once said at Regent College, he said, and if, you're, if your preaching is without the kingdom, he said, you've done Jesus in. If you don't preach the kingdom, then you're preaching another gospel. Because Jesus said, the kingdom has come and is now here. In other words, it started with Jesus. It started with, not just when he died on the cross, but it started with his very presence when he was here on earth and he began to preach the gospel of salvation. No, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it says over and over and over and over again in Scripture. And we're very good at making Jesus our Savior, but we're not particularly good at making him our Lord or our King. And yet that's the desire that he has to be in our life, that God wants to be our King. And you say, well, what right does he have to be King? Well, the, the right to being a ruler, to being a King, is that you own all the land. Right? Well, God created it all. Got newsflash for you. It's his. So he is king by right. He is king because it is his land. It is his planet. It is his. And so therefore, he has every right to be king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? He created everything, and that automatically makes him lord of all. 
Now, here's the critical part of the story. The original plan was for God to extend the invisible portion of his kingdom, the divine part of his kingdom that maybe we can't see in our day-to-day life, but it was his plan to extend that to every aspect and every area of the natural that we see around us. And Jesus came for that purpose. And this is what we call the big picture. Yes, he's got to deal with my sin. Yes, his blood cleanses me from my sin. And it's got to be dealt with. So I'm not preaching some gospel that says you don't have to deal with sin. No, no, no. I, I see that. But, but he saved me, not from death, but for life. Do you see the difference? It's not what he saved me from. It's what he saved me for. God has a purpose for my life. And that purpose is to help him in his ministry of extending the kingdom. I hear people say this all the time, that he is the king and we are his royal subjects. How many have ever heard that phrase before, right? Did you know that's not true? It's a lie. It's not true. Here's the truth. Let me put it up on the screen for you. He is the king, but we are not his royal subjects. We are his royal family. That's the truth. That's the truth. He's the king. We're not his subjects. We're his family. And I'm going to prove that to you this morning in the scripture. But it's, I mean, most of you, I think, already know it here. It's just knowing it here and in your spirit so that it permeates every aspect of your life. But we need to know the big picture. The big picture is that we are his royal family, his royal family. If we understand this amazing truth, it literally impacts every aspect of our life every aspect of our life. As a race, we're divided by multiple religions on our planet, uh, geography, ethnicity, national identity, different economies. Yet the reality is we're still all part of one race. I love it when Barry says there's only one race, the human race, right? And, and, and right now, the biggest problem we have on earth is we're, we're now trying to tackle racism in, by focusing on race, which I think is kind of weird, Right? We're, we're looking at how and focusing all of our attention on how different we are rather than celebrating how alike we are. Because when we focus on how different we are, that's how you get fights between Bears and Packers fans. Do you know what I'm saying? But when you celebrate that you all love football, you can have fun. Right? It's the same type of th- thing when it comes to race. And, and, and God made us all in his image. Red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in his sight because they're all in his image. We are all part of his divine race, the human race. Made by him, precious in his sight. Every unique aspect of humanity encapsulated in the Christ and released on this earth is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's why I think the the best way to tackle this problem in our world today is to celebrate one another, to celebrate how much alike we are, and then celebrate our uniqueness as well. Amen? That's how we do it. Amen. That's all for for free this morning. You know, at the heart, we all, everybody shares the same hopes, same fears, right? We all want to be able to grow up and raise our family, and we all want to be able to, you know, have a home, and we all want to be able to, you know, uh, have kids and then grandkids and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, those common aspirations are all across the planet. However, sometimes in our pursuit of those things, we get so focused on ourself and on our immediate problem and what's in front of us that we fail to recognize how much we have in common with everybody else 
when we look at ourselves in the context of his kingdom. The reason for this is because we have failed to see ourselves in the context of the big picture. The big picture. We're so caught up with our own little struggles, we can't see what God's ultimate purpose is for each and every one of us. We need the big picture, the royal picture, the picture that we're all part of a divine family. We need that big picture. And we need to grasp it and take hold of it in order to effectively love one another, believe in one another, support one another, help one another. So if we understand the big picture, then our success will come as we live out of that understanding that we are royalty. That's the big picture. An interesting story emerged a few years ago that I think helps us understand this really well. And I'm going to share it with you. And you might think, what? But it's still a cool story, so listen to it. But in 2006, a lady named Joya Williams was an executive employee of Coca-Cola. And her and two accomplices from Coke were arrested for trying to sell documents containing the elements of the secret formula of Coca-Cola to their competitor, Pepsi. True, true story. They got caught. Do you know how they got caught? Because when they contacted Pepsi with the offer, Pepsi immediately contacted Coke about the situation and turned them in. Interesting, eh? The FBI was contacted and a sting was set up where they were going to arrange the sale and they got busted right in the act of doing it. Now, Joya thought that she would make a lot of money by selling the big picture secret of Coca-Cola to their competition. But it backfired and she went to jail instead. Now, the complete formula of Coke, just so you know, is a carefully guarded secret. Often imitated like, by people like Pepsi, but never, ever, ever duplicated. Hallelujah. There's only one real thing, and it's Coca-Cola. Let me tell you. Uh, anyway, the formula has been heavily guarded for decades. I didn't know this, but listen to this. It's impossible to manufacture Coca-Cola without the formula, and the, only the one with the complete formula knows the big picture. But in the, even in the factory, it's made in different segments and different portions, and one doesn't know what the other one's doing. Do you know what I'm saying? And so listen to this. Um, after John Pemberton invented Coke in 1886, the formula was kept a close secret, only shared with a small group and never written down. In 1891, uh, Asa Chandler became the sole proprietor of Coca-Cola after purchasing the rights for the business. Then in 1919, Ernest Woodruff and a group of investors purchased the company from Chandler, or Candler and his family. And to finance the purchase, Woodruff arranged a loan, and as collateral, he provided documentation of the formula by asking Candler's son to commit the formula to paper for the first time. Isn't that interesting? This paper, this formula, was placed in a vault in the Guarantee Bank in New York until the loan was repaid in 1925. At that point, Woodruff reclaimed the secret formula, the piece of paper, and he returned it to Atlanta, the headquarters of Coke, and he placed it in the trust company bank, now the SunTrust Bank, where it remained until 2011 in a vault. Isn't that interesting? On December 8, 2011, the Coca-Cola company moved the secret formula on this piece of paper to a purpose-built vault at a permanent interactive exhibit at the World of Coca-Cola in Atlanta. And that's where it is today. Now, I tell you all this about Coke because it illustrates what I want you to understand about the big picture. There are three things you need to understand. First of all, when it comes to the big, to the big picture, only a select few 
know the entire process for Coca-Cola's formula. Only a few possess an understanding of the big picture. Second, those who know the big picture are able to understand how every part fits into the whole. And thirdly, the big picture is a secret, both at, God, at Coke and in the kingdom of God. Now, there are some differences, though. Let me put this up on the screen for you. With Coke, the big picture is a deeply protected trade secret, never to be revealed to the citizens of the earth. But with the kingdom, the big picture is a relational secret, preserved and hidden until the time of Christ, and now available to anyone and all who are living under it. Are you ready for this? With Coke, the big picture is a formula. It's a corporate secret known only to a select few who are employees of the corporation. With the kingdom, the big picture is a secret of adoption, which can be known by all because we have been made sons and daughters of the king. Isn't that interesting? Mark chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says this, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Do you understand the privilege that's been made available to you and I today? The secret that was hidden literally for centuries that is now freely available to all in Christ. For millennia, humanity searched for understanding, wanting to understand purpose, wanting to know, why am I here? Why, why does all of this stuff unfold as it does? And, and not able, even though they worshiped God, even though they may have known him from the Old Testament scriptures, there was still a longing in their heart that could not be satisfied because the Christ had not come yet. Christ had not come. From Adam to Abraham, Moses to David, humanity has been searching and searching and searching in vain searching for something to fill the hole in their soul. Something to, to, to repossess what was lost in the garden through Adam and Eve. But today, it's here. Jesus came and he was preaching. He said, I came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the, and the kingdom, he said, is now here. It's now here. And as he hung on the cross, he made one of his first declarative statements of the kingdom as he hung upon the cross. When he looked down at, 
at John and at Mary. And he said to his mother, I don't recommend you say this to your mother. He said, woman. <laughs> and, and he pointed at John and he said, behold, your son. And then he looked at John, the disciple, and he said, behold, your mother. And then the Bible says, from that day forward, John moved in with her and took care of her. Jesus was, was on the cross giving revelation about the nature of the kingdom, its family, its adoption. John today, literally, she's now your mom. I mean, you're adopted into my family. You are one with me. And he was able to say that to John in a very literal sense, but, but the message was clear. This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is how we are to interact with one another. Not as orphans, not as strangers, not as people on the outside looking in, but as sons and daughters of God who have, through Christ, the Bible said, received all things. Somebody say all things. All things. This comes from God. Hmm. After devoting an entire chapter to championing the exploits of faith done to the Old Testament saints, in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer goes on and says this at the end of that chapter, verse 39 and 40. Listen to this. this Did I just die on my back? Okay, here we are. All right, maybe I leaned on my mute switch and I didn't know it. But listen to this. He said, end of the faith chapter where he talked about all the faith in the Old Testament. He said, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them, everybody say none. none. None of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Wow. That is one of the most powerful scriptures in the New Testament. After spending an entire chapter talking about Samson and talking about Abraham and talking about Isaac and talking about all kinds of people in the Old Testament and all the exploits that they did, uh, he gets to the end of the chapter and he says, but none of them received the promise because they couldn't receive it apart from us. In other words, they couldn't receive it until they could be royalty. And they couldn't be royalty until they encountered Jesus. And they couldn't encounter the resurrected Lord until he came and he gave his life on the cross. And they are able to do it with each and every one of us. And until that, they, they had to sit in limbo. Isn't that incredible? But now, now, the Old Testament saints have also been brought into the fold through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Their faith is in a Savior that was yet to come. Ours is in the Savior who has already been. But the only way you come to God is through Christ. And the only way you get to be part of the family is through Christ. But when we're part of the family, everything changes. Only together with you and I, the redeemed of the Lord, the kings serving under the king, could they in the Old Testament be brought into their own perfection and their own fulfillment of promises. Are you beginning to grasp how important this is? It's so important that even the Old Testament saints couldn't receive without you. They couldn't receive until the sons and daughters of the king were released.
Wow. And here's another thing I've realized is that the difference between us and those under the old covenant is how God has revealed his secrets. God, check this out, God does not hide things from you. He's hiding them for you. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we think God's out there playing. I've even heard people say he's Jehovah Sneaky, that he's, you know, he's out there hiding things from me. No, he's not. The only time we hear about him hiding anything in the scripture was that he held things in the Old Testament. He held promises. He held royalty. He held, withheld all of the understanding of the secrets of that privilege until now. Until now. And now it's been revealed to the sons and the daughters of God. This is powerful stuff. This is life-changing, life-altering, changes how I live stuff right here in the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to hit you with one more scripture this morning before we wind this up. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Even the world's redemptive, physical redemptive purposes of the physical world are tied to the exploits of the sons and the daughters of God. You might say, well, why are there earthquakes? Why, are there, why is there wildfires? Why is there famine? Oh, it's because of global warming. Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. The reality is that all of creation is in birth pangs waiting for the fulfillment of the destiny of the sons of God to be revealed. You're, you're saying that I caused floods? No, I'm not, not saying that. But I am saying that when the church rises up and when the whole world experiences the redemptive power of God, that our world gets transformed. Now, I'm not here to preach an eschatology message that, that, that tell you what day and hour and all that kind of stuff that Jesus is coming back. I'm not even saying that we have to work and get the whole world saved before Jesus will come back. That's not the gospel I'm preaching either. But I am saying that until we rise up and we live to our fullest potential, we will not see the fullness of what God has for this planet be revealed because he wants to reveal it through us. That we get to change things. And you can see this in a microcosm. Uh, A few years ago, we were at Montana's and we went there and there was, I don't know, about 20 of us. And we walked in and the place was just like it was a, a hush over the place. And then we sat in. There's like 20 of us sitting there. And we all start talking. And, and then, you know, and we start laughing. And the whole place just starts to pick up, right? And we're, we're doing all this without alcohol. I mean, it, just amazing, right? Because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not anything else. And so these people start looking at us and talking to us, and then I start, we start talking with people around, and the whole atmosphere of the restaurant changes because the sons of God have entered the place. 
Are you hearing me? Have you not experienced that? You've, you've come into a room, you've come into a conversation, and everybody's bloomy and gloomy. And then you just come in and you just begin to start talking life, and instantly the entire atmosphere gets transformed. Well, now, if you've seen that on a micro scale in your home or in, at work at the office or at a restaurant, imagine what happens when we do it on a grand scale, both in a nation or in the world. Places are transformed. If you want to get an invitation to go minister somewhere or to work somewhere, then come in as somebody who serves them and loves them as a son of God. We've come to the school over here and we're partnering with the school, not because we, we're there and we're, we, we think ourselves better than them or anything else. We come in to serve as sons and daughters of God. And when we come in, it just shifts the whole environment. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of God. And we have an authority in who we are just by our very presence to shift atmospheres. Just by being there and being alive. And that's why my biggest pet peeve is grouchy Christians. <laughs> Just saying. It's not attractive, right? Mark, is it attractive? No, it's not. Don't be Mr. Grouchy Pants. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine, Brian, and he, uh, he, he went to Starbucks, <clears throat> and he heard some Christian complain because the cup wasn't red. <laughs> Not making this up. You're chewing at the barista because you don't like the cup at Starbucks. Give your head a shake, you know? And I don't know what else they were complaining about the cup or whatever. So he went home, looked up the CEO of Coca-Cola, found his email address, sent him an email. Said, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor. I live in, you know, Ontario and told him where. And he says, and I just want you to know that I heard a bunch of people complaining about your cup at Christmas. I just want you to know that I'm not one of those people, that I'm just so grateful for all the stuff you do in the community, all the things that you're tied to. And I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and that I really like your coffee. That was it. Next thing you know, he gets a phone call. Is, is this so-and-so? Yeah. Yeah, my name is, and he's the CEO of Starbucks. Just want you to know, he said, we get a lot of feedback, a lot of it negative, some of it positive every year about Christmas cups. Seems silly, but it's true. And he goes, uh, but this is the first time I ever got an email like that. And he goes, we just want to send you a little thank you. And he got bags of coffee. He said, I got cups. I got all this stuff sent to me. And he said, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but it's how it works. When we walk around, not as Mr. Grouchy Pants. Mm -mm. Or Mrs. Grouchy Pants, by the way. But when we walk around with the kingdom of God alive and inside of us, it makes a difference. I'll tell you another story. So I took a, a missions team when I was a youth pastor to Costa Rica. And uh, our troubles began when the flight got delayed leaving San Jose. And, uh, and then we missed our connecting flight uh, in, uh, where did we go next? It was a long trip. I think it was we were in Florida. Yeah, we landed in Miami. And uh, 
we, uh, we land there and we've missed our flight, so they're rescheduling us to a little a later flight in the day to go out of Miami and then up to Syracuse. So I thought, hmm, okay, no big deal. I said, I've never seen Miami Beach. I hear it's some really nice restaurants and shops and stuff down. Who wants to go with me? And I'm, there's about 20 of us on the trip, but they, they go, oh, five, four or five say, I will. We all jump in a cab. We go down to Miami Beach and we sit out and have some a hamburger and fries and a nice breeze blowing around and everything else. Just felt really nice. Then we go, oh, well, the flight's leaving in about two hours. We should probably get back to the airport. So we jump in a cab. We get back to the airport, and the airport is just mayhem. I mean, it is just people pulling out their hair, people yelling and screaming. I thought it was a zombie apocalypse. It was unbelievable. It was just, it was nutty. People are going crazy, just crazy. And, I, and, and one of the youth corps said, Pastor Kevin, you weren't here, but we have a big problem. I said, what's the problem? Chicago, that's, that's where we were going. We were going through Chicago. Chicago airport snowed in. Nobody's going through. Oh, well, that is a problem because we're supposed to fly through Chicago. And uh, they said, we have to get all our flights changed. Okay. And that's the lineup. And how come one of you guys didn't get in the lineup? Well, you weren't here, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll get in the lineup. So I'm in the lineup, and, and it's a long line. It's, I'm like longer than for me to the sound booth at the back, and there's all these people. Everybody's got the same problem, but everybody doesn't have as many people to relocate as me. So we're, we're in the lineup, and people are, they're literally yelling and screaming at the girl behind the counter, like she made it snow in Chicago. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, have a little mercy sometimes, people. They didn't do it, right? And, and how many know that if, if it's a mechanical failure, they're responsible to take care of you? But if it's weather, too bad. You, you sleep in the airport, it's not, not, it's not the airline's responsibility to take care of you. How many know what I'm talking about? So I'm in the lineup, and and things are just going crazy. And I'm about three people away. And I said to Jim again, I said, Jim, and I pull, out, I pull out some money. I said, Jim, go and get an orange juice and a muffin and bring it over here real quick. And he goes, okay. So he goes and gets it, brings it back to me, walk up to the counter. And I, I said, I hand it to the girl. I said, this is for you. Oh, she just cracks over. <laughs> Thank you so much. I said, you're welcome. And then she goes, how many in your group? And I can't remember how many it was, but I said, like, 15. <clears throat> Her head hits the table. And I said, I understand. Yeah, it's a big number. Uh, sorry about that. And then, uh, so anyway, and I've just listened to her tell all these people that there's nothing she can do for them. They're going to have to sleep in the airport or whatever. So we spend literally an hour. She's going through the computer trying to find where she can reroute us through and all the rest of it. So she goes, well, I've got you going out tomorrow morning through Charlotte. And then from Charlotte to somewhere else, and then from there to Syracuse, and we were being picked up in Syracuse. I said, great. And then I said, thank you very much. And so she's giving me all the tickets for everybody. And then she said, now this is uh, uh, a voucher for two hotel rooms. They're big suites, so all the guys can stay in one room and all the girls in the other at this hotel. I go, oh, well, thank you. And she said, this is uh, another voucher. It gives $25 per person at the restaurant at the hotel tonight for you guys to have dinner. Huh. I said, thank you. And I, I said, I thought you, you guys weren't obligated to do anything for anybody. She goes, we're not. She said, but we can do stuff for people if we want. And she says, and you're the only one who deserved it. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you very much. And, and not because it's earned, earned deserved, but the thing that meant something to her was that we just brought her something to drink. 
We were polite. We stood there and waited for another hour after waiting for several hours in line. And, and, and our attitude shifted the environment and shifted her countenance. She wasn't ready to give anybody anything except a kick in the pants. But when you shift the environment, look what happens, right? Doors open for you. Things begin to happen. If you're walking around like Mr. Grouchy all the time, guess what? There's doors that are ready to be opened in front of you and you never get to see them because you're just in such a foul mood all the time. You need deliverance from that. Jesus can help you. But I'm hoping that over the next few weeks that we're also going to be able to help you through the Word of God. Because as your mind is transformed, as we said at the beginning, renewed by the Word of God, that as the truth of who you are as a son or daughter of the king, I'm believing that your life is going to be changed and the way you approach every day will be changed. Every day. Now, do I still have days when I'm working on something? Yeah, everybody does. But my objective is not to carry that any longer than I'm aware of and I just bring it to Jesus as fast as I can and then just take that different approach so that I literally want to be the same person all the time. A son or a daughter of the king. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, all right. If we have not comprehended the big picture that we are royalty, that we are sons and daughters of the king, my hope is that by the time we get around to Christmas, you're going to be a whole different group of people. That literally, this is going to be a different Christmas than any Christmas before because you're going to be a people who literally shift every environment. You're not going to be the one that goes up to the cash register and they say, happy holidays, and you'll say, it's Merry Christmas, not happy holidays. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be blessed by that. that. That will transform their day right there on the spot. That works every time. And you're not going to go into Starbucks. I don't know what color. They're going to make green cups, brown cups, purple cups. I don't Oh, and I don't care. How many know Christmas is about what's going on inside me? Not a coffee cup? If your only witness is that you tell somebody that their coffee cup is the wrong color, you need to go back to 101 witnessing. Because that's not what it is. And if you've ever been a person who's done that, there's grace for you. Just repent right now this morning. Say, Jesus, I'll never do it again. I'll never complain about another coffee cup or a person saying happy holidays again. Instead, I will be a son or a daughter everywhere I go as we walk into this season. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. So, as we unpack all this, this fall, and we look at our position as sons and daughters, as uh, royalty, not as subjects, Right? then this is, these are the things that the bullets that I want you to pick up. So first, I want you to understand what kingdom life is meant to look like on earth. So we're going to tackle that. We're going to re-educate ourselves on terminology for the kingdom. So com- terms like welfare, commonwealth, colonization. These are all bad words, right? How did they become bad words? Why are they bad words? What did the original meaning of those words and intent of God was it? And how did we get so far off of what God wanted us to do. We're going to learn how to live as a son or daughter of the king. We're going to learn how to live the truths of sonship and to connect together, not merely as soldiers or as the bride or as the church, but as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. We're going to learn how to connect with our heavenly father by walking in relationship with earthly spiritual fathers and mothers. This is an important lesson that most people don't get. But very few of us very, very few of us 
are able to walk out this journey without somebody who's more mature than us, gone further than us, gone deeper than us, saying, follow me. How do we miss this in Scripture? I don't know, but the Apostle Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. The Apostle Paul said, you've had 10,000 guardians in Christ, but you had few fathers. I became your father through the gospel of Christ. And so we're going to look at that this morning, uh, in these weeks to come as well. And we're going to learn how to advance the royal family by maturing into fathers and mothers ourselves so that we can give hope to spiritual sons and daughters that will come after us. Does everybody understand me this morning? So we're going to learn all that in the next few weeks. How many are with me? All right, the rest of you, you're coming along with the journey anyway. All right, let's stand together. By the way, the reason I'm 10 minutes late this morning is Mark told me to go 10 minutes late. Uh, Yeah, Mark said, you got to milk it for 10 more minutes. He said, so we have time to get stuff ready for the barbecue. I said, telling a preacher that he can preach longer, easy, no problem. I can do that. I have the skill to be able to do that. And so, but if you're upset that we're 10 minutes later, it's his fault. Uh, So just thought I'd put blame where blame is meant to be. But anyway, just put your hands out like this to the Lord this morning. And this is the posture we always take when we're going to receive something. And so we put our hands out to the Lord this morning and say, Father, here I am. I open myself to you. Put into my heart and into my life what I need to become a healthy son or daughter of the King. Father, I love you and I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen.